This is Faith Ignited, the podcast where we put God back into history. Episode 7, Visions of Freedom. The Maryland sun blazed overhead as Araminta leaned forward to peer at her reflection in the store window. She reached up to tuck a lock of her thick, unruly hair beneath the shawl she tied around her head. At least it hid most of the flaxseed still peppered in her hair. But she still thought that her curls resembled a bushel basket, like the ones she'd seen men carry back from the fields. As she stepped inside the dry goods store, she began making a mental list of all the things she'd been sent to buy. She certainly didn't want to forget something and face punishment for being careless. Suddenly, the door burst open. A boy came running in, his young, dark face flushed with fear. He hurried past Araminta, his head turning this way and that as he sought somewhere to hide. But the cramped store offered both little concealment and no alternative escape route than the door he'd just come through. Araminta hardly had time to acknowledge the boy's presence before another figure came barreling in after him. The man's chest heaved, his eyes blazing. There you are, you little maggot, he spat. The boy cowered back in fear, and Araminta found herself standing between the two of them. The man looked her up and down, saying, That boy is my property. If you know what's good for you, you won't stand in my way. The boy looked ready to bolt. Grab hold of him, she heard the man shout. As she turned, she realized that the man was speaking to her. Had he really just asked her, a slave, to assist in the capture of another slave? Fiery indignation rose within her chest. When had a desire for freedom become a crime? A desire to be seen as a human being, not property. No, she answered flatly, her gaze defiant. I won't help you. The man's eyes flashed with surprise. He'd just been rebuffed by a 12-year-old girl. Not only a child, but a slave. His face turned a mottled purple. The boy seemed to gain confidence from Harriet's resistance. He darted toward the door. The slave's overseer reached for a nearby metal weight. Arms stretched back, he heaved it toward the escaping slave. It fell short of its target. Araminta felt a sharp pain as it collided with her skull. Blood immediately began spilling down her face. Spots danced across her vision, and she collapsed to the ground just before the world went dark. Preparing for this episode has been fascinating, instructive, but also really difficult for me. Because we're about to delve into one of the darkest periods of American history. But what I've discovered is that in the midst of the horror and the brutality that existed in the mid-1800s, you see these heroic, selfless figures emerge. People with difficult stories, complex pasts, who risked everything to save other people. And one of these unexpected heroes was Araminta Ross. This scrappy young woman, standing five foot two and born into slavery, would become a symbol of freedom. Viewed as almost invincible, she credited God for her success. And when she married, she took on her mother's name. And because of that, we know her today as Harriet Tubman. Harriet was the fifth of nine children, born to Harriet Green and Benjamin Ross. She was born in Dorchester County, Maryland, sometime between 1820 and 1822. And at this point in America, the conflict between the North and the South is in full swing. In fact, slavery was the backbone of the Southern economy, and the practice had made many men rich. 
the profit was wrung from the back-breaking labor of their slaves. The North, on the opposite side, was becoming much more industrious, using machinery for a lot of the things that people use slaves for in the South. The North had a much higher Quaker population, and Quakers especially were very adamant against slavery. Harriet began working as a house servant at age five or six. You really don't have childhood as a slave. And whenever her work was found lacking for any reason, or if the children cried, she could be whipped, which she was frequently. She often tried to wear layered clothing to soften the blows, but she did still carry the scars of the lashings with her for the rest of her life. To be a slave was to live in a state of constant terror. Violence and brutality were an everyday and very commonplace occurrence. When Harriet was 12, she was sent on an errand to a dry goods store, something she probably did frequently, but that day would have a huge impact on the rest of her life. A slave came rushing inside the store, chased by his overseer. He asked Harriet to help him apprehend the slave, and she refused, a sign of her incredible grit and determination. Furious, the overseer grabbed a metal weight and threw it at the slave, but he missed, and he hit Harriet instead. She was given no medical treatment for her injury, but somehow she miraculously survived. However, she did suffer narcoleptic sleeping spells and seizures for the rest of her life. These trance-like states that she would go into sometimes lasted for hours. But here's what's so fascinating. You see, Harriet had been raised with a belief in God. Her mother shared Bible stories with her, and after her injury, Harriet reported vivid dreams and powerful visions that she received from God. In these visions, she felt God urging her to follow him. And it was also through these visions that she gained deeper conviction that God wanted the slaves to be free. But desiring freedom as a slave was a very dangerous thing. The consequences for even attempting to escape were very hefty, from severe whipping to death. But the thing that most often motivated slaves to attempt escape was not violence or even the hard labor. It was the threat of being separated from their families. You see, as cotton became the commodity of the South, and they realized how much money was in that product, they began buying many more slaves and bringing them into the Deep South. So it was a constant fear that you could be sold away from your family. And Harriet especially was worried because she was a prime age, still in her youth. And it became even more likely when Harriet's overseer died, leaving his wife in deep debt and it was not uncommon to sell slaves to pay off creditors. But before Harriet ever attempted an escape, she had these dreams where she'd be flying over fields and towns, rivers and mountains, looking down on them like a bird. Then she'd reach a great fence, or sometimes it was a river, over which she would try to fly, but, quote, it appeared like I wouldn't have the strength, and just as I was sinking down, there would be ladies all dressed in white over there, and they would put out their arms and pull me across. Maryland was a border state, meaning that it was right on the edge of the north. So Harriet, at age 27, soon after her master's death, decides that she is going to make the perilous 116-mile walk over the boundary to freedom. She initially set out with her brothers, but they, terrified at the prospect of recapture, forced her to go back. But she didn't stay long. 
days later, she set off again, this time alone. Determination burned like a fire in Harriet's bones, and it propelled her forward into the dark night. Her feet ached and her fear was an ever-present reality. She knew the dangers she faced, but she had a right to liberty or death, and if she couldn't have one, she was determined that she would have the other. She would not go back without a fight. If they were going to bring her back, they wouldn't bring her back alive. Besides, it wasn't as though constant fear was something foreign to her. Inhumanity and violence had been laid before her since she was old enough to comprehend it. She thought of her two sisters, Lina and Soph, who had been sold away from the family, their children being ripped from their arms. She remembered her sisters weeping as chains pulled them away into an unknown future. Where were they now? Were they even alive? It was well known that being sold into the southern cotton fields was a death sentence. You wouldn't be expected to live more than seven years under the intense labor. Harriet clamped her eyes shut, shaking her head. That could not happen to her. Her heart still ached that she'd been unable to convince her brothers to come with her. Her husband, too, was in Maryland still, but he was a free man, so she wasn't so concerned about his fate, simply agonized by their separation. But this chosen separation was far better than the forced one that would be inflicted if she were sold to another master. And she could hardly fault him for his decision to stay. After all, if he dared to help her, he would be at risk of losing his own freedom. Harriet's gaze lifted to the sky where she spotted the North Star, a constant in her tumultuous circumstances. She felt as if God had placed it there just for her, to lead and guide her course to freedom. She felt him giving her strength, and if there was one thing she was sure of, it was that God intended her to be free. All through Harriet's perilous escape, she felt that God was guiding her steps in a very profound and personal way. She saw visions of pillars of fire and clouds, signs that she was being watched over. Describing her experience coming into Pennsylvania, Harriet said, When I found I had crossed that line, I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person. There was such a glory over everything. The sun came like gold through the trees and over the fields, and I felt like I was in heaven. In Philadelphia, a whole new world of freedom and opportunity was open to Harriet. Soon she became part of a circle of abolitionists led by William Still, who is now viewed as the father of the Underground Railroad. Now, he has an amazing story, and I'd love to share it right now, but I'll probably wait and share it in a future episode. But this is how Harriet comes to be a conductor of the Underground Railroad, which was a complex system of secret routes and safe houses to guide slaves to freedom from the South to the North. Anyone a part of it was putting themselves at a great risk of punishment or even imprisonment. Harriet would make at least 13 trips back to Maryland to bring other people to freedom, estimating about 70 people that she helped to free from bondage. But Harriet said, I have heard their groans and sighs and have seen their tears, and I would give every drop of blood in my veins to free them. She was fearless. And if someone wanted to turn back, someone that was in a group that she was transporting through the wilderness, she wouldn't hesitate to pull a pistol on them. This tiny, just over five foot tall woman. But she knew that there was nothing more dangerous of a liability than someone with cold feet. Once you set out to freedom, there was no going back. 
Otherwise, you would put everyone else in jeopardy. She worked at night, traveling through swamps and streams to throw off the scent. She risked her own freedom over and over again. Every single trip that she made, she was risking being put back into slavery. But incredibly, she never once had a slave that she was helping be recaptured. The way she put it, I was the conductor of the Underground Railroad for eight years, and I can say what most conductors can't say. I never ran my train off the track, and I never lost a passenger. Her success in leading others to freedom earned her the name Moses. In fact, the song that she would sing to alert people that the coast was clear and that they could move forward was titled, Go Down, Moses. And one of the things I love the most about Harriet Tubman is her humility. She always deflected praise and gave God the credit. She said, I always told him, I trust you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me. And he always did. Her faith in God gave her almost the sense of invincibility. Later, when the Civil War began, she worked as a Union spy, scouting out Confederate troops, mines, and supply areas. There was a time that she had a $40,000 bounty on her head, being caught dead or alive. Now that's $1.2 million today. She was also the first woman in American history to lead a military operation. She and 150 other American Union soldiers rescued more than 700 slaves from the South. Truly, she was an American Moses for her people and an instrument in the hands of God. U.S. Senator William Seward wrote of Tubman, I have known her long, and a nobler, higher spirit, or a truer, seldom dwells in the human form. God's hand is so apparent in the Civil War. Why? Because God is all about freedom and liberation. I think the best way to summarize this would be to pull from what became the Union's anthem during the Civil War. It was written by Julia Ward Howe, who received the song through inspiration in the middle of the night in 1862. She said the stanzas knit together in her mind, and she lay there until it was complete, after which she jumped out of bed and went to write them down before she could forget. She felt, as she put it, that something of importance had happened to me. When President Lincoln heard the song, tears coursed down his cheeks, and he requested simply that they sing it again. The song was called Battle Hymn of the Republic. And the final verse helps illustrate the Union cause, which was Harriet Tubman's cause. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea, with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free, while God is marching on. You may have noticed a change in the lyrics from what you are accustomed to hearing. The way we sing it now, we generally change the word die to live, maybe to make it feel more applicable to us. But the first people to sing this song were laying down their lives, from the soldiers on the battlefield to people like Harriet Tubman. In fact, Harriet recognized the real cause of the war before Abraham Lincoln did. She said, God won't let Master Lincoln beat the South until he does the right thing, which he did when he sent out the Emancipation Proclamation. So what was the war really about? It was about freedom. Freedom always comes at a price. 
and usually that price is blood. Whether that's the freedom that we receive from sin and death, paid through the blood of Christ, or the blood that was paid to free a nation. Harriet Tubman ended up living to the age of 90 or 91. She lived a long life, and she spent so much of it living to make men free. Her last words were quoting the Savior in the New Testament, I go to prepare a place for you. From the story of Harriet Tubman, I feel that we can learn that even in a time of darkness and oppression, one person can make a huge difference in the lives of so many others, leading them to a brighter future and igniting their faith. <laughs>